of you are acquainted with the writings of C.S. Lewis, great Christian writer in theological and Christian uh, community. Mere Christianity, some of you have read that book, Screwtape Letters, Surprised by Joy. Some of you may not know that C.S. Lewis has written children's Christian books and stories, and they are, they are called the Chronicles of Narnia. The main character in the Chronicles of Narnia is a lion, big, friendly, loving lion named Aslan. In the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is the symbol of Jesus. The story is that these children come to England to visit relatives, and as children do, they're exploring this great palace, this beautiful mansion. And in the back room of this palace, this mansion, they find a wardrobe. Not a wardrobe like clothes you wear, but like furniture you keep clothes in. And in the back of that wardrobe, there is a door that opens up into fantasy land. And they go through that door into Narnia and explore fantasy land all summer. They come in at night and back out in the daytime. After the summer is over, they go back to their homes, but they come back the next year to explore again Narnia. They don't, they don't know it, but even though a year, only a year has passed in England, a thousand years has passed in Narnia. And so when they go into the fantasy land, everything is changed. All the buildings are different, and they lose their bearings. And one night they sitting, uh, they're sitting around a campfire, about ready to give up in despair, when out of the shadows appears Aslan. And Lucy runs up to him and hugs him and strokes his mane and says, Oh, Aslan, you look so different than you were a year ago. You've gotten so much bigger than you were last year. And Aslan said, Well, Lucy, you need to remember that, even th that, that not just a year has passed, but a thousand years have passed. But I'm really the same, for I'm the same today, yesterday, and forever. Then he makes an interesting statement. He said, I have noticed that the more people get to know me, the bigger I look to them. If your Christ is only a child in a manger, He's too small. And the glory of Christmas is, is that it gives us an opportunity to see and understand and know more about Jesus. And the more we know Him, the bigger He looks to us. For He shall save His people from their sin. It's a significant name, the name of Jesus. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Joshua. And it means deliverer, savior. So his name is Jesus, for he is the savior. But the giving of titles is as significant as the giving of names in biblical background. So the titles that men gave to Jesus are as significant as the name Mary gave to him. And they gave to Jesus hundreds of titles. He is the most titled man in the history of the human race. And if we could find some of those titles, to know them is to know Him and His work. And to know Him, the more we get to know Him, the bigger He looks. 
A number of years ago, a large theological seminary scheduled a convocation, a very formal convocation, so everybody was there in robes of regality. And they invited one of the greatest theologians in America to address the convocation in a very formal way. And they assumed that he would deliver some official paper on some controversial theological issue because it was not just a chapel meeting, it was a, 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 a convocation, formal convocation. But when the man addressed the group, all he did was name the titles of Jesus without explanation, without uh, uh, commentary, but with just pauses in between. He stood there and he named the titles of Jesus. Christ, Lord, Rabbi, Son of Man, Son of God, Son of David, Lion of Judah, Lamb without blemish, Rose of Sharon, the Bright and Morning Star, the Alpha and Omega, the Logos, the Advocate, the Prince of Peace, the Only Begotten of the Father. And for 45 minutes, he named the titles of Jesus. And when he finished, there was this hushed awe. Even though there are hundred titles given to Jesus, the question I have this morning is, what did Jesus want to be called? In the civil rights movement, the black people announced that they did not want to be called colored anymore. They wanted to be called Negroes. And so a part of the civil rights movement was to reestablish their identity and call them Negroes. But in the height of the civil rights movement, they made another pronouncement. They didn't want to be called Negroes. They wanted to be called blacks. My redneck racist friend from West Texas was kind of indignant about that. He said they ought to hurry up and make up their minds. But what my not-so-redneck racist friend made an observation about that, he said that a person has a right to be called whatever he wants to be called. What did Jesus want to be called? If you were to look through the New Testament at the titles given to Jesus you would find that the most popular title bestowed upon him was the title Christ. It appears over a thousand times. The second most popular title was the title Kurios, Lord. It appears hundreds of times. But there is a drastic drop-off between second and third. Eighty-two times is the third title mentioned bestowed upon Jesus in the New Testament. It is the title Son of Man. But if you were to search to find what title Jesus used most often for himself, that title would win hands down. Eighty times in the New Testament, Jesus referred to himself as Son of Man. It is obvious that that's how he wanted to be known, and that's what he wanted to be called. What does it mean? Well, we know that Jesus is the God-man, 
And so we conclude that whenever there is the title Son of God, it refers to His deity. Whenever there is the title Son of Man, it refers to His humanity. And what we assume is that Jesus used that as an example of His humility and an illustration of the servanthood of His mind and mentality. What we assume is that Jesus was saying, I am a human being like you. I feel as you feel. Understand me as meek and lowly man as you. It doesn't work that way. That title is a supernatural, majestic title, and it calls attention more to His deity than to His humanity. And it was familiar to the Israeli because it comes out of the prophecy of Daniel. In the seventh chapter of Daniel, you'll find that term found, Son of Man. Now understand that the book of Daniel is an apocalyptic book like Ezekiel and the characteristic nature of apocalyptic literature is that it has tremendous imagery and symbols and almost bizarre visions. The book of Revelation is a New Testament example of apocalyptic literature. And so in the seventh chapter of Daniel, Daniel has this vision and he's looking into the sanctuary, the throne room of God, and he sees the Ancient of Days. His hair is white as wool. The Ancient of Days, of course, is God the Father. And he sees a second in that throne room, in that courtroom of God. Now this is how it goes. Listen carefully. And I kept looking in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him the Son of Man was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples and nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and His kingdom is one which will never be destroyed. What Jesus was saying when He said, I am Son of Man was, I am the one to whom Daniel spoke, of whom Daniel spoke, I am the sovereign, the majestic King and supreme. I want to be sovereign. I want to be recognized as having dominion, and I want that sovereignty to be over your life and I want that dominion to be your heart, and I want that throne that's in your life to be my throne. Son of man. He wanted to be known as supreme sovereign. But what did God call him? I put this out on Wednesday night and asked, what do you think God called Jesus? Well, the answer was, He called him my beloved son. Well, that's true. But let me ask it a second, a different way. What do you think is the most often quoted scripture in the New Testament from the Old Testament? In other words, if you came to the New Testament, which verse of scripture from the Old Testament would you find most often in the New? Well, let me give you the answer. It's not Isaiah 53. It's Psalm 110. Now I want you to turn to that psalm. It's easy for you to find it in your Bible, Psalm 110, because I want to show you something significant here. The most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament is Psalm 110. Listen to what he says. The Lord 
says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Now you'll notice that there is a significance in the, in the spelling of the word Lord. There are two ways it's spelled. The first Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The second time it's used, it's capital L, little O-R-D. If you heard me preach on Isaiah 6, I explained the significance of that, but in case you missed it the first time around, this is what that means. It's not a mistranslation. The translator wants us to know that there are two Old Testament words translated by the one English word, Lord. So that when you see the first one, caps, Lord, it's the word Yahweh, it's the name of God, the sacred name to the Jew that he would not even voice. But when you see the second one, capital L, little O-R-D, it's the word Adonai. And it's not a name for God, it's really a title for Him. It's like President Reagan. President would be the title, Reagan would be the name. So the first Lord is His name, the second Lord is His title, and that title is Supreme Sovereign Master. But the difficulty of this passage is, now watch this, is that every time Yahweh is Adonai, Adonai is a title that is given only to Yahweh, only to God. And yet in this psalm, Adonai, Yahweh, is addressing someone else as Adonai. And that Adonai is the psalmist's Lord. So that if I could paraphrase it, it goes something like this. And Yahweh says to my king... Sit on my right hand. Let me give you a hint as to what that means. It means that Yahweh, the creating God, has designated someone to be sovereign master. Who is that? Well, every time you see this passage quoted in the New Testament, it is quoted without exception to Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. So that the psalmist is saying, God, Yahweh, has designated as supreme sovereign, Jesus. And that New Testament equivalent is the word kurios, and it's also translated Lord. And that name, that title is given to no other person save Jesus. The only one who deserves to be called Lord is Jesus. It's what God called him. As a matter of fact, Christians by the thousands and ten thousands and hundreds of thousands were martyred because they would give that name to no other person. They would give that title to no other man. And so when Rome declared there's going to be emperor worship and every citizen of Rome must make this statement, must say three things. Kaiser ho curios, Caesar is Lord. And it didn't matter if you were a Christian, if you worshiped God after that or not, but you had to acknowledge, Kaiser Hokorios, Caesar is Lord. But these Christians would never do it, never do it. For they knew that no other one deserved that title save Jesus. And they shouted, Yesu Hokorios, Jesus is Lord. And that's why John says in 1 John, 
that no one can call Jesus Lord save by the Holy Spirit. And what he meant that by that was that nobody's going to put his life on the line and call Jesus Lord in the face of Kaiser, Caesar, unless the Holy Spirit prompts him to do it. Yesu hokurios. Now there were times when Jesus would say, I do only what the Father tells me to do. And I say only what God tells me to say. But there were other times when he said, All authority is given me in heaven and earth. Where did he get that right to say that? Can you imagine what you'd think of me if I made that statement? Let's suppose tomorrow I marched into the city hall, into the mayor's office, and said, All authority in Durant, Oklahoma, is given me. What if I went to the capital of the United States of America and marched into the president's office and said, All authority in America is given to me. They'd have me so far back in a straight jacket, I'd never see the light of day again before night. What right did Jesus have coming into the world saying, All authority is given me. He got that right from God Himself. And on, one on three occasions, God said, This is my Son. On two of those occasions, He said, Hear Him. And the Apostle Paul picks up on the theme when he said, God has given Him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth, and that at the name of Jesus every tongue shall confess He is kurios, Lord. As a matter of fact, He is not just kurios. He is kurios, whole kurios. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. Now some called him master, and some called him carpenter, and even some called him Beelzebub, the demon, the prince of demons. Some called him savior. Mary called him Jesus. My question for you this morning is this. What do you call him? What do you call Jesus?